We're happy to have this episode sponsored by Real Mushrooms. You probably already know about some of the great benefits of adding mushrooms to your diet, like better sleep, greater mental clarity, and a stronger immune system, but not all mushroom products are equal. Real Mushrooms is the real deal. Many mushroom companies harvest the mushroom and the grain it's growing on. Real Mushrooms products contain no grains or starch fillers. They're organic, cultivated naturally, and third-party verified for beta-glucans, the compound that makes them so valuable as a supplement. They even have a science and medical team of doctors who ensure that Real Mushrooms meets the highest standards. What I personally love is how informative their website is. Have questions about what mushroom is right for you? They have a robust blog with articles ranging from women's health to what mushrooms are most beneficial to your pet. Want to boost your immune system? Have better sleep and feel more calm? Grab the link in the show notes and get 25% off of your first order. Curiously enough, acupuncture is not just sticking needles into people. It's part of a coherent and observation-based medicine that experienced practitioners of the art have handed down over the centuries. I'm Michael Max, your host and guide of Everyday Acupuncture. Listen in as we explore how you can apply the principles of this ancient medicine in your everyday life. So uh, today I have uh, Paul Magarelli with me. He's a reproductive endocrinologist. Try to say that three times real fast. And um, he's here to talk with us today about how to get fat adapted with a ketogenic diet. Paul, could you give us just a, a quick little rundown of your background and then uh, we'll jump into it here? Sure. Thanks. I appreciate it, Michael. My background is somewhat eclectic. It started as a um, nutritional biochemist, an animal physiologist, my specialty being marine animal reproduction, micronutrient requirements, and foods needed for reproduction in marine animals. It drew me to medicine because uh, it was not as challenging as I expected it to be because you're really dealing with uh, the, the aquaculture, which is the farming of animals. And it drew me to medicine. And, and in medicine, the closest thing I could get to what I was interested in, which was reproductive endocrinology. And as you know, that's part of being an obstetrician gynecologist. You do that for four years as a resident, and then you do three more years to become a reproductive endocrinologist. And uh, most of my early career was centered on reproduction, you know, in vitro fertilization. I created reproductive medicine and fertility centers and I got a position at the University of uh, New Mexico as a, an associate professor heading up their IVF program and recently opened up a program in Las Cruces called Mountain View Wellness and Reproductive Medicine. You're a busy guy with this stuff. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so the wellness side uh, started as the Advanced PCOS Institute, which is a, you know essentially understanding insulin resistance in uh, females and it then spread to understanding insulin resistance in their husbands when the women liked the results and wanted their husbands to uh, benefit and then to their children. So we changed it to the Institute for Sustained Health rather than anything to do with weight loss per se. It seems like there's a really big benefit to getting the metabolism regulated. 
Well, you know, as I explained to folks, you know, the three requirements for life from a, from a physiologic standpoint are water, air, and food. And you just have to ask yourself, what is the only variable that separates cultures and separates health and disease? Is it water? Is it air? Or is it food? Pretty much food. Yeah. So once you get to the, to the understanding that it's food, then you go back to Hippocrates, which I know for your traditional Chinese medicine audience is just a young pup of a doc. But <laughs> Hippocrates basically said food is medicine and medicine is food. Absolutely. And so it, that began my journey. Now, it was an inward journey because I suffered with insulin resistance and obesity and hypertension and depression and, you know, all the ails of being a physician. If you look at the literature, physicians die young, we're not very healthy. Mm -hmm. So I just took it upon myself one year, just when this is probably five years ago. One year I said, you know what, there's something wrong. I had a personal trainer. I had two nutritionists working with me and I was paying, you know, I'm basically visiting them twice a week. And I was getting fatter and more depressed and fatter and more depressed. And I just couldn't, I couldn't understand. Yeah. Doctor, heal yourself. Exactly. That was the pathway I took. Yeah. So that kind of took you to this whole ketogenic thing. Well, it took me to first understanding insulin resistance. Aha. Uh -huh. Insulin resistance is, I believe, an evolutionary quirk of Homo sapiens in that I think it allowed us to, during the early years, survive famine. And so those, I call them the kings and queens and soldier slaves. The kings and queens are those people who have insulin resistance and therefore can reproduce, of course, getting back to reproduction, can reproduce during famine very well. And right, because they're carrying fat and they've got what it takes to grow babies. Exactly. And, and so they're revered. And today now, of course, we have the opposite. We like the soldier slaves. Now, you, of course, you don't call them slaves. You call them actresses and actors. But you have these, you know, people who look cachectic, you know, are nothing but muscle. And they tend to all use IVF to make babies. Right, right. Yeah, we, we, we see this a lot. So let's just jump into this here. Because there's been a lot of talk about this ketogenic diet. You know, one of the big things about it is that you need, well, I, I shouldn't say you need. I mean, yes, metabolically, you do need to eat a lot of fat. I, I could also say you get to eat a lot of delicious fat, which is a real uptick for me. So it's high fat, moderate protein, and low carbohydrate. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that sounds really simple, but how long does it take to get fat adapted? And what kind of things should you expect on the way? And more importantly... Is there a way to really kind of kickstart the process and get into that, that fat burning stage as, as soon as you can? I don't think so. I don't think speed is the issue here because really the most important reason, and that is called, I, I call it sustained health. Any fad, any jump in, any without a accommodation on the part of both the psyche and the body leads to this it's like yo-yo dieting, but you don't have to gain and lose. Your body has to accommodate to its changes. So let's start with... You know, you're sounding like a Chinese doctor here. <laughs> well, I've been around traditional Chinese medicine docs. Oh, my God. Probably, well, my wife certainly... <laughs> there you doctors, go. You know, for at least 15 years, if not 20, and, uh, and a bunch of you characters for at least 10 years. So from my perspective, and uh, to, to answer how long does it take, 
Well, the first question is, what is it? So let's let's briefly go through the what is. Great. And let's again, do. You may not like my digressions, but I always go back to the biochemistry and physiology. So it makes sense to me. So you have cave person. He uh, has a saber-toothed tiger chasing him. He gets to choose what source of energy he's going to use to maintain his speed so he doesn't get eaten. So he chooses carbohydrates, of course. If you read uh, the literature since 1978 about you know carb loading for athletes, he's got 18 minutes of energy stored as glycogen, five minutes stored as glucose. So 18 minutes later, the, the saber-toothed tiger is picking human meat out of its uh, you know its fangs. If he had chosen fat, on the other hand, for every pound of fat, he's got available about 3,500 calories. And therefore, if he's carrying 10 pounds of fat, he's got 35,000 calories. And even if he was a marathon runner, he may use, you know, what is it, 1,000 an hour, but still, it's quite a lot of time. So this logic or illogic part of, of racers in the past, now today, of course, my wife, who's a competitive triathlete, she's completely fat adapted. She, you know, she'll run a uh, triathlon on a, a cup of coffee with some butter and MCT oil <laughs> for, for the first at least two hours. I believe that humans are are beings who can, when you know, and probably most often because humans evolved in famine, use fats as their main source of energy. Now, what about the brain? Now, the brain, although it's only 6% of your body weight, uses 25% of your energy. Isn't a huge amount of the brain fat anyway? The brain is fat. The brain is fat. So when someone's calling you fathead, it's just a statement of truth. Exactly. Yeah. They're not, they're not putting you down. As a matter of fact, it's a compliment that I get to all the time. Especially from my friends. The brain, you would think, because everyone says, oh my gosh, it's the glucose, it's the glucose. But in reality, the brain much preferred ketosis from a persistent standpoint. And uh, the treatment, for example, one of the main treatments of epilepsy, which is the, the uh, brain's part of it is the brain's inability to use energy in the form of glucose. But if you feed it ketones, you get amelioration of epilepsy. And as a matter of fact, it's called the epileptic diet. Yeah. It, it, I mean, that used to be the way that they treated epilepsy and it would basically go away if you were in a ketonic state. Yeah, less likely to have the, you know, the grand mal seizures or, or even petite mal. The concept is, okay, what do we do? Now, the hardest part, I think, for Americans is that everything we do is wrong from the standpoint of food. You could be drinking coffee, then don't drink coffee. You can have dairy, then don't have dairy. You know, you can't eat one lace potato chip. I mean, there's a variety of things where it confuses the public. And, and my hardest time is not creating this buzz about this is what you should do, but it's, do you understand how your body works? Right. From the metabolism's point of view, what's going on? Yeah. What is the basic biochemistry? So Americans are high fat, high carb, actually moderate to low protein uh, consuming uh, public. And that was based on, of course, the 1978 food pyramid, which suggested that carbs were good and fats were bad. But if you go back 100 years or even 200 years and play around with the literature then, you'll find that humans do very well with a moderately high fat consumption. Uh, protein is always an expensive resource, so we never are in a position where we have a very high protein 
situation. Although today now with all the, the whey and this, the protein bars, you could get away with it, although I don't recommend it. And then the carbs, of course, are pig food. Most people don't understand that the food pyramid was, and still is, designed by the U.S. Department of Agriculture. It is, And their main thing is grains, right? Yes. Yeah. Because agriculture, with a breadbasket of the world, becomes a wonderful source of cheap, easy energy, and in a sense, has led us to this misunderstanding about the role of carbs, role of role of fats. Now, saturated fats, and this is a crime, I believe, were given a bad rap based on what we now know to be data that was skewed by a particular author. Are you saying that a scientist was actually putting their bias into their work? Always. And, and I think... I am shocked. <laughs> well... The, the, the thing that what bothers me in doing research in traditional Chinese medicine is very hard to publish because people uh, in the Western literature are resistant if they don't understand something or to the fact that knowledge precedes science. And they think science precedes knowledge, but it's, it's truly that the traditional Chinese medicine people know something and then science has to demonstrate what it is as opposed to science, which believes you do science for knowledge. It's reverse. So when you try to publish what they would consider to be less than rigorous scientific protocol type studies, in other words, you don't have a placebo control, double blinded, because uh, it's very hard with acupuncture. Certain randomized sample, all that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. What happens is that there is bias. That is their biggest criticism, oh, you're biased. But now... If we look at our own literature, they're saying, I, I don't want to quote the exact number, but let's say the vast majority of studies have now been shown to really have bias associated with them. And that's just a fact of life. So yeah. we're human beings. It's really hard to get away from that. Yeah. And we try. So yeah. this particular scientist, I guess, you know, it's difficult when people get fame. He got fame and that took him down this uh, rabbit hole of saturated fats being bad and then all fats being bad. Then finally, carbs are, you know, are much better for you. And that led us to the production of fat in our bodies and reduction of the kind of fats that we would prefer in our brain which has led us to an amazing explosion in Alzheimer's disease, which is because the brain is starved for fat. I know we're getting a long way to the ketogenic diet, but- That's okay. We, that, you know, it's all part of the journey here. Yeah. And, and I play with the journey to make sure that all the, the road signs along the way are pointing in the, to the yellow brick road as opposed to, you know, wandering in the forest. And I think a lot of us wander in the forest. So the brain requires- fats, especially in the right ratios of omega-3 and omega-6. So here's the conundrum. Mm -hmm. the, the issue wasn't that fat is bad. The issue was that the fat in the form of animal fats, like particularly meat fats, had been mutated due to the fact that they took a grass-feeding animal and fed it grains, meaning they made cattle eat grains. Right, which makes them really sick. Well, no, not sick in the sense they, they get fat, they're happy, I would imagine. Well, but, but the change in their fat components, in other words, the omega-3, omega-6 ratios, which are essential fatty acids, 
flip-flops. So what was a beautiful source omega, of omega-3s, uh, much like salmon, mm-hmm. until we started farming salmon, the salmon that you would eat uh, had a beautiful ratio of omega-3s and omega-6s. Which is a really good reason to eat the uh, wild salmons. Exactly. Well, they did the same thing, or they should I should say it predated the salmon by doing the same thing to cattle so that the meat now provided omega-6 as its dominant fat, which for humans is not necessarily a good ratio. So if we get back to what is it we need, well, it turns out that there, we need essential fatty acids, we need essential amino acids. There's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. There are none. So as a food source, the presentation of a, a relatively high, rich omega-3, omega-6, not only is brain health for babies, but brain health for adults, it's the type of fats that your body can utilize more readily and, and as more of an essential ingredient. And there's less of the pathologic impact of the high omega-3s. And of course, we then introduced the foreign fats called trans fats. And the only purpose for the trans fat was preservation, not of you, but of a product on the shelf. Right. Because food is supposed to rot. Yes. Food is it, it's supposed to rot. That's a really great way of looking at it. But, you know, it's supposed to be digested by life. Exactly. Ingested, digested, transported, used. Yeah, I'm just curious. So how, you know, and given that a lot of the animal fat that people get is going to be factory farms. So you've got that flip-flop omega-6 and omega-3s. Thankfully, these days, there's more and more grass-fed beef. I think of it as the salmon of the prairie myself. Yeah. So what do you suggest for getting the fats that you need to make your brain happy? Well, the cheap easy, the cheap easy is coconut oil. The cheap easy is grass-fed butters, which are a lot less expensive and, and more easily accessible. The cheap easy And is, delicious, by the way. Oh, heck yeah. Oh. Yeah, the cheap easy is Costco, Sam's. Make sure you know that they're, and they do, bring in uh, wild-caught salmon. Mm-hmm. The cheap easy is range chicken eggs. You know, if you can get real olive oil, which is very difficult to find in the United States. Now, how do you get real olive oil? Uh, you have to go to the boutiques on the internet, either, unless you live, you're lucky enough to live in San Francisco or other places, or have a friend who invented the the machine to make uh, olive oil, as, as uh, Diane and I do. You have to go to the boutique uh, online places, and I, I don't have the name in, in my head because we get it from our friend, but mm-hmm. there's enough literature out there about the uh, unfortunate legal conundrum in the United States that... Olive oil doesn't have to be made from olives necessarily completely, to say even extra virgin. That's a little bit scary. Well, yeah, it, it is. I, I don't want to get us too far off. No, no let's not let's not go off, offline with that, but it, it's good to know. Yeah, those are the, some of the sources. You know, the grass-fed butters, if you're dairy sensitive, then of course, ghee, G-H-E-E, mm-hmm. is a source of grass-fed butter fats as opposed to grass-fed butter proteins. And the biggest accusation in this process about this way of eating is folks feel it's boring. The boring part of the fact is it's high-quality meats, and um, if you can tolerate high-quality dairy, excellent oils. And by the way, avocado is a wonderful other source for fats that's in a form that's uh, still healthy, thank God. 
We had it for breakfast this morning. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> we live on them. And uh, it's boring because you you do that and green crunchy vegetables. So you don't you do not do you know, the, the breads, the pastas, the wheat products. You don't do that. Now, just as a parenthetical discussion quickly is the issue of the role grains play. It's not that wheat per se is a problem. It's that we do not have wheat in our diet. What we have is what I call a doppelganger. The unique part about the wheat plant is that it accumulates chromosomes when you crossbreed it rather than reduction division, which most animals do, certainly, so that the original icorn wheat may have 18 chromosomes, whereas the wheat we have today may have 56. Every single chromosome makes hundreds of thousands of proteins that can create immune responses. And those hundreds of thousands of, of proteins that create these immune responses gives you the impact or effect of inflammation or, in worst cases, severe sensitivities or, you know, certainly celiac disease is a good example of something. And all kinds of inflammatory issues. Exactly. And so it's not that wheat per se is bad. It's just that we're not having wheat. We don't have wheat. We have the word wheat, but it's been mutated so that it's disease resistant, drought resistant, so that it's elastic and can make pizzas and croissants and all these things. But from a physiologic standpoint, our bodies go, I don't know what this is. Our bodies haven't evolved quick enough to keep up with the mutations that have happened in the wheat. And quite frankly, I don't think it could because the manufacturing of wheat and changes can be in one generation can change the whole way that wheat is grown as opposed to the thousands or hundreds of thousands of generations in which we have evolved. Mm -hmm. So ketogenic. So being ketogenic just means that you're using as a source of energy fats. The goal there is not the Atkins to be continued, in my mind, uh, if you read the way it's being presented on the internet, it's stay in ketosis and life is beautiful. And it, I will tell you there is some benefit, but you don't necessarily have to be in ketosis to eat a diet in which you're not building fats, you're breaking down fats. And that's what a ketogenic diet does, right. is it uses fats for energy. Now, it's difficult to get to a ketotic state consistently because you'd be surprised, and, and I don't think it's actually particularly easy to follow, to eat nothing that might be perceived as a carbohydrate because the body, once it sees a carbohydrate, it really doesn't want to make ketones. It's making ketones as a survival, but not as a default. I mean, you give it any type of sugar and your body's going to want to... It immediately will reconvert to that. Yeah. And isn't that because... With the sugar in, in your bloodstream, it raises up the insulin levels, and insulin basically shuts down fat metabolism. Exactly. So we've come full circle. So the insulin resistance issue is an issue of excess amount of insulin causing the body to build fat. Well, when you lower insulin, the body burns fat. Insulin is an, ama an amazing regulator, and I just... Uh, reviewed the sort of the the evolution of the of an insulin-like molecule, and it goes back to the prokaryotes, unicellular organisms, all the way up to you know the oldest vertebrates, the hagfish, the lamprey, to man. And insulin or insulin-like products have served life 
as a mechanism by which external energy gets internal to the cell. Mm -hmm. And so as you increase the amount of carbohydrates, your body shuts off fat burning and turns on fat building by survival. This makes sense. Hope you're enjoying the show. I'd love to know about what topics are of interest to you. If you have a health concern, or if you want to know specifics about how acupuncture can help to promote vibrant well-being, visit the website at www.everydayacupuncturepodcast.com and send an email. It totally makes sense, especially if you're in a starvation situation. Or let's say you're a bear and you want to hibernate. Mm. Hell, are not going to eat other bears or, or proteins because proteins are enormously metabolically active. So you you burn 25% of even of every calorie of protein you consume, you burn about 25% just to simply digest it, ingest it, use it. Whereas carbohydrates are immediately used for fat storage and fats which most people don't understand, especially the medium chain triglycerides, people call it MCT oil. Mm-hmm. Uh, coconut oil has 90% of it as a medium chain triglyceride. These actually require energy to be absorbed as well as be used as a source of energy. So, so, so if you're eating high fat diet with, with a lot of these MCTs, you're actually burning fat to digest fat. Yeah. And you're regulating your insulin levels. Yes. And so you're actually capable of metabolizing fat. Totally. And not only capable, but preferentially. And what people don't imagine is, so just taking the social or psychological component, how can I feel satisfied? Well, remarkably, fats require up to eight to 10 hours to be metabolized. Proteins, one to two hours, and carbohydrates, 20 to 30 minutes. Right, which is where people get these sugar swings and hypoglycemia and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so from a satisfaction standpoint, that you're actually much more satisfied. If you have, you know, the breakfast you and I had, three eggs, you know, some hemp hearts, you know, cooked in coconut oil with some sausage or bacon, uh, with a nice cup of coffee and a, a dog. Hot buttered cocoa latte, actually. There you go. Hot buttered cocoa, which, of course, is dark chocolate you're using. <laughs> well, actually, there's there's no chocolate in it. It's just it's just butter and coconut oil. Oh, I thought you said cocoa as in, as in chocolate. Yeah, as, <laughs> cocoa as in coconut. Cocoa, right. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, 11 hours goes by and you go, wow, I forgot to eat. And it's not just simply being busy, it's that amazing amount of satisfaction. And and what I tell folks is, and my favorite, by the way, which I don't know if I've shared with you, is the afternoon, two o'clock, four o'clock, beef, chicken, bouillon with salted grass-fed butter. Oh. Not blended, not blended, but let it float on the top. And I'll tell you, even when I say it, it makes you smile. Yeah, I am kind of, so have you got a recipe for that? Well, that was it. I mean, it's easy. That was it. It's so a, beef a, bouillon. I use uh, better than bouillon because I happen to like it, uh, which you get at like Costco. A tablespoon of uh, the grass-fed salted, whereas in your coffee, make sure it's unsalted because, man, it's hideous if it's salted. Right. And then some MCT oil. You know, and again, the folks, just as a quick aside again, 
do not rush into a ketogenic diet because quite frankly, your gallbladder and your, your enzyme production of lipase is going to take a long time to get what you need. So you start with a, a teaspoon or even a half a teaspoon and you'll get up to two tablespoons, but don't do that in one sitting because you will get sick. Yeah. Hey, what about people that don't have gallbladders? Do they have issues with this? But what I recommend for those folks are uh, digestive enzymes. And of course, traditional Chinese medicine docs have used digestive enzymes to help folks. Mm. But I, I, you know, I created my own product line of, uh, it's called the Ish Nutraceuticals, but it's it's just, uh, we have a line of enzymes. We'll put all that in for, for the listeners here. We'll, we're going to put all of that information on the uh, show notes page. Okay. So sure. so there'll be links to it and, and folks can go and look at all the stuff that you've got and whatever other information you have for people. So taking an enzyme with each meal for the first one to two months is not unreasonable until your body creates the lipase because, you know, you, your pancreas is going to do what it needs to do to create the enzymes it needs, you know, for you to be able to metabolize the foods you, you use. And that's what I said in the beginning about you don't jump into a ketogenic diet. Now, here's the hard part. How do you measure if you're there? And the pea sticks, they have this uh, product, which is now a breathalyzer. It's about 150 bucks. Yeah. Um, the blood sticks, it is impossible. I say do the cheap. It's not that cheap. The cheap method is the pea sticks. But the problem with the pea sticks are that... They only work for a month or so, right? Yes. And, and, then, and then you're not passing it out in the urine anymore. You're not passing out in the urine the thing you want to detect which is there's two types of ketones that your body makes. And one is detectable and one is not. Mm. That's why I say, don't do the ketogenic diet. Do the lifestyle in which you avoid, you know, pushing insulin to make fat, which most of us really don't need in America. We, we certainly carry enough. Mm -hmm. You look and like what we did is we ended up because of frustration buying a half of a grass-fed cow so that we have it in our freezer, all nothing but grass-fed, you know, beef. To me, I can call it the Costco diet. Costco has a, a wonderful coconut oil. You know, they have range-fed uh, chicken, eggs. They have Kerrygold butter. They have avocado oil. They have hemp oil. Have you tried avocado oil in your coffee? No. No, 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 I have not. Have you? No, but it just suddenly went through my mind. I mean, I, I'm putting all kinds of fat in my coffee these days and i like avocados so it's just you know maybe i'll do a little experiment here please do yeah, yeah. No, i'd be curious i have some at home actually i was cooking with it this morning but uh any other questions about, about this <laughs> uh, we've sort of gone everywhere you know i really appreciate your comments about that this isn't a thing that you do it's a lifestyle that you adapt it's something that you live your way into yes yes and, and as you live your way into it, your metabolism will do what it naturally does, which is adapt and, you know, find a different balance. If you feed it a bunch of carbohydrate, you're going to get a lot of insulin because that's what the body does. And then you're going to get a lot of fat because you can't burn fat while you've got insulin at elevated levels. Right. If you feed your body fat, you're going to take more energy to burn it, it's going to take more time to burn it. And you're also saying to your body, look, we can use this stuff as, as fuel. And the brain is saying, this is ha I call happy food. Your brain smiles. And of course, we're all nothing but perception. So you're, when you get that 
two o'clock, four o'clock, cup of bouillon with butter floating on top. All of a sudden, grandma comes into your brain. Life is good. Your gastrointestinal tract is happy. The electrolytes in the in the bouillon are now providing you what you really need. It's, right. It makes it gives you to keep hydrated. You know, it's a simple pleasure and a short. It doesn't take a long time. And even bachelors can boil water. I mean, oh yeah, that's that's not hard. I usually just like to drink one cup of coffee a day, but lately. <laughs> Mostly because I just love a nice hot buttered cocoa latte. I'll sometimes have a cup of coffee in the afternoon, not because I'm looking for the coffee, but because I'm looking for the fat. And so this option of the bouillon sounds really good. Oh, it, it, it meets so many needs of um, ghrelin, which is the uh, satiety uh, hormone in your uh, stimulated by gastric distension and eating. As a holiday gift to all my folks out there who don't want to gain five pounds, this uh, bouillon with butter prior to going to your parties or a bouillon cube in your pocket that you bring to the party and you start your party off with a, um, a cup of bouillon stretches that lovely receptor. It's warm, brings blood flow to the gastrointestinal tract, girl into the brain. The brain says, hey, I'm happy. I don't have to run around seeking, you know, every piece of food that's available. Right. Cupcakes are suddenly not so interesting. Yeah. It, and I'll tell you, it changes your enjoyment and um, your brain has get, loves the electrolytes, loves the, uh, the aromas, loves the fats. Oh, yeah. And yeah. it just becomes a very different holiday. Uh, I, I do a talk on, you know, surviving the holidays, and it's just remarkable, the simple tricks. And you may want to do this as another podcast, but it's remarkable the simple tricks that people can do that allows them to truly enjoy the, the, the real world of the holidays, which is, you know, sharing love and uh, enjoying friends. And uh, so that's a little parting gift for you there that um, try that before you go out. That's great. I will. Uh, you say that the uh, coconut oil is basically 90% uh, medium chain triglycerides, MCT. Yeah. I've seen some stuff on the internet lately where they're saying, MCT, this is like the greatest brain boost. You know, this is the stuff to eat. So if coconut oil's got 90%, does it make sense to go get some extra refined, pricey MCT oil? Does it really give you that much more? Because prior to this boom... MCT oil was cheaper than coconut oil. Ah. So prior to this boom, yeah. so MCT was the cheaper uh, way to get medium train triglycerides because you know you couldn't find coconut oil anywhere anywhere. And so now, you know, as I said, you find it everywhere mm -hmm. in everything. And so if it's 90% MCT oil, I mean, there's nothing bad about it, you know, to have a monounsaturated fat. The quick easy is just use the, uh, just use the, uh, I can tell you, Diane, you know, Credenda, my wife, uh, she uses um, just coconut oil and uh, ghee. Uh, she doesn't even bother anymore. I used to buy it by the case, MCT oil, but I'll be honest with you, it's just too troublesome for me. I can just easily get a tub, a right. little a tub of uh of organic uh you know coconut oil now and just again on the side i mean you can use it instead of mct but it's an amazing massage oil oh it's yeah amazing. it's wonderful for your skin exactly yeah uh, you, know, you know so <laughs> why why not uh, it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's less expensive 
I'm all about that. Ghee, I find very expensive. So, you know, Kerrygold butter, and I only say Kerrygold because that's the brand now that took the world by storm only a year ago. Uh, it's called Irish butter. As a yeah, it's, it's in our refrigerator. You know, it's grass-fed cows. And that's because of right. the regulation in Ireland. Oh, and it's delicious, and it's not expensive. No. I've even seen it at Walmart. I, I, Is I that company it. traded publicly? We should really go buy some stock. Well, I never do. I never buy stock in stuff I, I recommend, but uh, <laughs> this is not an investment <laughs> show. <laughs> but I do strongly uh, like, I, I do recommend it, and I do recommend slowly getting into uh, more fat adaptive. Okay, but here's the, here's the pearl. Okay. This is the one that everybody doesn't want to do. In order for you to become ketogenic or fat adapted, your carbohydrate total has to be less than 50 grams a day. So give us an example of something that's 50 grams of carbohydrate. Piece of pizza? An apple is 29 grams. An apple is 29 grams. So that's the simplest one I can give you. And so if you start with that, you go, holy Christmas. I mean, I mean, right back to the beginning. Americans have a high-fat, high-carb diet. Right. That's why we get sick and we die. And also, most of them are trans fats, and, and we're building way too many carbs to build the excess fats, like visceral fat, et cetera, and the fat in our arteries causing hypertension, stroke, et cetera. So in order for any of this fat adaptation, and, and almost we want to put this at the beginning of the show, any of this fat adaptation is dependent on a person who's been able to first curtail their carbohydrates in that 50 to 80 grams total per day. So you really have to get those carbs down. That, that's the essential thing. Yeah, Americans do between three and 500 grams of calories a day. A frappuccino can be as high as, I think, if I'm not mistaken, uh, something like, uh, I think it's something like 300 grams for a frappuccino, the large one. Of carbohydrate. Yeah. So 300 you, grams of carbohydrate. I, I don't, don't, don't quote me on no, that. I'm not, no, but I'm, I'm just. It's extremely crazy high. Yeah. And, you know, the sl Slurpee or any, anything that is sugary in America that we take for granted as being okay as a liquid has an enormous, and again, it's nothing against those companies. It's just understand where carbs come from. But I'll tell you what happens when people listen to me talk is they first go to putting fat in their coffee. Well, that doesn't mean anything until your carbs are down in the 50-gram range, 80-gram range. It's kind of a two-step process. At the yes. same time, get the carbs low, under two apples a day, basically. Yeah. And start eating more fat. Yeah. And, 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 and good fats. Yeah. And you have to do it as a... It's not a quick fix. Yeah. And it's like a yin-yang or a seesaw. It's as you bring the carbs down, you're going to think that you'll starve. But the only way not to starve in the beginning is to bring the protein up, then uh -huh. up the fats. Okay. Because the protein gives you satiety. The, the nice thing about protein is that it has a built-in, you can't eat too much protein because your body will shut you down, you get nauseated, you won't do it. It metabolically turns you, your, your, your metabolism up. It, it turns up the heaters. Then as you get your carbs down, your proteins up, then you start bringing in the fats. And then that'll bring down the protein. Mm -hmm. So first, you know, you jack up your proteins, lower, that's sort of the Atkins approach, lower, but don't go to zero on your carbs because that's not realistic. 
and it's also not good for your thyroid. Mm-hmm. Then as your carbs go down in consumption and your satiety is okay, then you gradually introduce your fats. Then as your fats get more dominant, you lower your protein to a moderate to low level and you keep your carbs very low levels but present. Now you are in a ketogenic state. Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate your time today to to be on the show here. My pleasure. I'd love to have you back at, at some time in the future. We can continue uh, with this kind of a conversation. Okay. My pleasure. Before we go, Paul, real quickly, give us your website. So if people want to come and check out what you're doing, they'll be able to find you. Thank you. The website is um, the Institute for Sustained Health or www.instituteforsustainedhealth.com. The um, phone number, if you have questions, consults, that sort of thing, is 877-475-2229. If you want to just shoot me a question, it's info, I-N-F-O, at rmfcfertility.com. I just happen to use that one the most because my other practice, of course, is a fertility practice. Right. And that website of fertility is of issue is www.rmfcfertility.com. You know, I'm pretty good at answering anybody's question. I mean, not if there's 5,000, but I'm pretty good at getting back to the group. And we do have a newsletter for both the fertility side and the institute side. Uh, So uh, you just simply email me at the info at uh, and say, hey, I want to be on your newsletter. And just, of course, you'll include your email. And then on my website, you can easily click on, please send me a newsletter. And what I do there is I review research that I read every day. You know, we put up recipes. We talk about some of the other things that are going on in the field. The goal is uh, the more we communicate, you know, how to to live a style of living that produces health, the better we all are at uh, in the United States. And, you know, I'm very proud of what you guys do in traditional Chinese medicine. And the more I understand it, the more it helps me have a better perspective, sort of a more knowledgeable as opposed to scientific, but more knowledgeable perspective about man and, uh, you know, and what we do in the interaction with nature. And the more fun it is. And I'm, I am going to plug that uh, um, there's a book that should be coming out in May. Great. I have a few titles. The one that I'm not going to use, but I think is funny is I'm fat, you're ugly, at least I can lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not it. That's not it. But I just happen to like that title. It's a good working title. Okay. Well, I, we'll have all this information on the show notes. So people can just click over to that. And uh, I didn't realize you had a newsletter. So I'm going to sign up as soon as we get off the call here. Well, thank you, Michael. And you have a wonderful day. Thank the audience. Thanks, Paul. Let's do this again. Yeah, let's do. That'd be great. Have all yourself right. a great holiday. Say hi to Diane for me. I certainly will. And by the way, I plug Diane's website because she does a lot of work with insulin resistance. You know, it's- actually, I think I'd like to get her on the show. There you go. There I'd you love go. to get her on the show. I'm gonna, I'm, yeah, I'll just send her an email and you can maybe mention to her that, uh, that I'm gunning for her. I want her on the show. Perfect. Perfect. Cool. All right, my friend. Happy Thank holidays. You, you too. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Everyday Acupuncture. If so, please take a moment, click on the iTunes review button, and leave a review of the show. And be sure to tune in again next week.